0: Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. Our text today, the title of the message, Living Sacrifices. What a wonderful Advent season we had here. I think one of the best in my memory, but as Solomon wrote in the Old Testament, there is a season for everything, and the time for Christmas is behind us, and it's time to start a new year in God's word. So you might recall four weeks ago, we finished up in Romans chapter 11 with Paul's great doxology of praise. Having climbed the mountain peak of justification by faith, Paul looks around his surroundings and he just breaks out in song. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom, the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor, who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, amen is a great place to stop something. It means so be it. It's bold underlined under what has been said. And so we did take three week break after we read that last amen. But this morning we're going to start a new section of this great letter to the Romans. Paul, as he often does, is moving from doctrine to application. He does that in almost all of his epistles. He has a section on doctrine and a section on application. In other words, here's who we are in Christ and then here's how we ought to live as a result of who we are in Christ. And there's often the use of literary devices to give us a signal that he's shifting gears. And his favorite word to transition with is the English word therefore, simply means in light of, or because, or in response to. So listen for it as I read our text now. Romans chapter 12, verse one. Therefore, I urge you brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of this his word. Now, last Sunday morning in our State of the Church address, we looked at one verse, Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, which simply says, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. So our task as a church, the task of pastors is to proclaim Christ and to admonish and encourage one another with the word, with the aim or goal of spiritual maturity for every member. Now the process of growing into maturity, into the image of Christ, we call sanctification. And so Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2 is Paul's plea to every believer in the Roman church to grow to spiritual maturity. And the question though that is begged is, well, what does that look like? What does a mature Christian look like? How does he or she behave? Well, Paul uses Old Testament imagery to declare New Testament truth here. So let's walk through these two verses. And I believe you're going to be blessed as you think deeply upon their meaning. Now, Paul begins with an exhortation. An exhortation is an address emphatically urging someone to do something. Paul wants them to grow to maturity, so he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living in holy sacrifices. I am struck with the gentleness of Paul's tone. Now, he could have used his apostolic title and authority to demand that they conform to his will. He does not do that. He comes down to their level. He appeals to them with a term of endearment. He calls them brothers. They were peers. They were equals. He too is on that path of sanctification, but he wants them to know that it's his will. He's urging them to maturity. Now, one of our tasks as Christian brothers and sisters, and one of the primary reasons every saved person needs to belong to a local church is that we all need encouragement, don't we? Coming here in this room, full as it is today, encourages us we're not the only one. Now, many of you are going to go to work tomorrow where you are the only Christian. And you remember this setting, okay, that you were surrounded by other men and women who believe like you do. And so Paul is calling them to encouragement. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you also are doing. Now that word therefore, I mentioned it earlier, It means as a result of all the things I take it that he has said up until this point. So 11 chapters full of doctrinal truth. Paul says these are the mercies of God. It's based on those things that you ought to take action. And the action that he wants them to take is to present their bodies as living sacrifices. Now that is, dear friends, priestly language. That's exactly what the Old Testament priests did. The people would bring their animals to the priest, he would present them to the Lord and then they would sacrifice them. They represented sacrifices daily in the temple to the Lord. Now, why do they have to make sacrifices every day? Because the people didn't sin just once a year. They're like us. They sin every day on the calendar. But we know, of course, in hindsight as Christians, there's no longer any need for the sacrificial system. We don't have to bring livestock to church with us. There's no special class of priest. There's not even the separation from the Holy Holies to the rest of the temple. Remember on the cross, when Jesus was on the cross, God tore that veil from the top to the bottom, signifying that we now have direct access to the Father. We don't need an intermediary. And yet, Peter in his epistle says that as Christians, we are priests unto the Lord. He says in 1 Peter 2.9, But you, speaking to Christians, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. However, the sacrifice that Paul is calling for is not of animals. It is of ourselves. We are to present ourselves. So in that metaphor, we are not only the priest presenting sacrifice to the Lord, we are the sacrifice. Present your bodies, he says, to the Lord. Now that sounds strange to us, especially those of us who have studied the old covenant a little bit. We know that those animal sacrifices couldn't be just any old sacrifices, right? They had to be without blemish or spot. I had an annual checkup this year, which for me is about every four years, but it's supposed to be an annual checkup. (laughs) And as I looked at my medical history, I was convinced I'm not qualified to be a sacrifice if you have to be without spot or blemish. (laughs) Lots of surgical scars, lots of broken bones over the years, but I'm glad that's not what he means. You remember that Paul is writing to believers who have been made holy and clean through the blood of Jesus. So any efforts to be a living sacrifice by an unbeliever are gonna fall woefully short because all that is is self-reformation. And all self-reformation does is to lead to pride, which the Lord hates. He's speaking to Christians who have been made clean by the blood of Jesus. He says, now take those sanctified lives, bodies, and present them back to Christ. And when he speaks of our bodies, yes, he's talking about our hair, our teeth, our bones, our sinew. But he's talking about every part of us, our mind, body, our spirit. He's saying there's nothing that is to be held back from God. It's total access that we give to God and say, Lord, I am yours. I am bought with the blood of Jesus. Use me any way you choose. So what is our motivation then to present our bodies? Well, he says it's the mercies of God. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. Your motivation is to be the mercies of God. Now, note there's an S on that word. We usually use the word mercy in the singular but he very specifically adds an S here because he's not just talking about mercy in general. He's talking about the specific mercies that he has elucidated in these first 11 chapters. Now, they are many. A great exercise for you this afternoon is go home and read the first 11 chapters of Romans again and just write down every verse some blessing that is yours. Now, I've done that for you, um, But I'm not going to give you all of them. I'm just going to give you about a third of the ones, okay? Uh, There's some homework for you to do. So let's start in chapter 3. In chapter 3, he says that Jesus' sacrifice provides our atonement. In chapter 4, he says our sins are not counted against us. Chapter 5, God makes peace between us and him. Chapter 6, he grants us eternal life. Chapter 7, he allows us to bear spiritual fruit. Chapter 8, he says there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Jesus chapter 10 God saves all who call upon him and chapter 11 he gives us irrevocable callings and gifts that is just a taste of the dozens and dozens of blessings that Paul talks about in the first 11 chapters of Romans this is what he's referring to he says because of those mercies and blessings you ought to be motivated to be a living sacrifice for Christ so let's just say it this way our motivation To give our lives totally and completely to the Lord's purposes as living sacrifice is nothing more and nothing less than gratitude and thankfulness for all that he has done for us. Now be careful here. This is not an attempt to win his favor. He's speaking to Christians, people who have a guaranteed home in heaven. He's already said nothing can separate us from the love of God. We're not trying to get to heaven by being a sacrifice. We're being a sacrifice because we're going to heaven. It's an expression of gratitude for his grace. Well, then, if we are to be sacrifices, what do sacrifices look like? Well, let's look at the description next. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. So it's living as opposed to dead. It was understood by everyone in Jewish life that when you brought that animal in a cart to the temple to sacrifice you, went home with an empty cart because it was not a sacrifice until the animal gave his life. God's not asking us to be martyrs necessarily, though some of us may be called to that. He's just saying that every day we live, we live unto the Lord. I often say to young men when we're doing premarital counseling, we get to Ephesians chapter 5 where it says, Husbands, love your wife and Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I says, I know what you're thinking because every man thinks the same way. We all think of ourselves as superheroes, right? So we think that means someone breaks into the house, we're going to get between ourselves and our wife and our family, and we're going to take the bullet. Or we're going to push our wife out of the way when the bus is rolling down the hill and we'll let it hit us. And I say to them, it is statistically very unlikely that you're going to ever be called to do that. But it is a statistical certainty that you're going to be called on multiple times a week to put your wife's needs ahead of yours. That's what it means to love your wife as Christ loved the church, as to put her needs first. That's what Christ did for us. And this is what he's calling us to do. He's not saying take your life. No, he's saying live for Christ every second of every day. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. And then another word he uses to describe this sacrifice as holy. Now, holiness has almost become a forgotten word today. Very little talk about it, little less preaching on it. Uh, the word holy at its root means distinct and different. God wants our lives to be distinct and obviously different from a lost and dying world. Well, how might that look? Well, let's just do this little exercise. You remember he starts by saying, present your body as a living sacrifice. Well, let's start there. Let's just talk about the body parts and how we can present them to the Lord. In fact, earlier in the book of Romans, he says, present your members, which I take to mean various body parts to the Lord. Job started with his eyes in the Old Testament. He says, I have made a covenant with my eyes, not to look upon a maiden to lust. Men, as we start a new year, that's a very good covenant for each of us to make. Make a covenant, a promise, a contract with your eyes that you will not look upon a woman who's not your wife in lust. Secondly, your mouth. The book of James has a lot to say about human speech. How the tongue is a wild animal that no one can tame. How it can set the whole world on fire. And yet uh, the scripture says that we are to submit our mouths, our speech to the Lord. Paul, again in Ephesians It says, only say those things which are good for edification to build up rather than to tear down. What about our ears? Proverbs 18, 15, the mind of the prudent acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. What are you listening to? A better question is who are you listening to in 2023? Are you listening to those people who are speaking truth or lies? People who are encouraging you to walk in godliness or not? Even our hands and knees can be brought to bear for the Lord's service. Hebrews 12.12 says, Therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. That speaks of corporate sanctification. See, we're not only responsible for our own sanctification, we are to encourage others who are weaker to grow in their sanctification. And then all the way down to our feet. We started with our head, we go down to our feet. You know this one, Isaiah 52.7, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings Good news. Lord, use my feet to take the gospel all over the world. Now, um, what is the purpose or, or aim of a sacrifice? We're talking about being living sacrifices this morning. What, what is the aim of any sacrifice? Well, it's to declare who God is. Every time those people saw an animal and the life's blood pouring out of it until he had expired, it was a stark reminder of the high cost of sin. And when we gather for the Lord's table, as we're going to do in a week or so, um, I always tell you to look at the color of the juice that is in that cup, because it is the color of blood, and that is to remind us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. But really, at its essence, all sacrifices were acts of worship. And fourthly, that is the aim of ourselves as a living sacrifice, an act of worship. He says, therefore... I urge you brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of what? Worship. Now, worship is declaring what you value. Um, worth is where we get that English word. The, the, the worthiness of God is what we are declaring. And Paul says here that it is a spiritual service. And it is that. He says he seeks those who worship him in spirit and in truth. Some of you may have a translation of the Bible that translates that phrase, it is your reasonable act of service. And that's because the Greek word there is logikai, where we get the English word logical. And he seems to be saying that it is the most reasonable and logical thing in the world because Christ has died for you literally that you would live for him with the remainder of your life. And this is an act of worship. And so what Paul is aiming at when he's calling us to be living sacrifices is to view every part of your being, every second of your life, as an act of worship. You live in an act of worship. And this is, fifthly, uh, an action, of course. And remember, we're talking about the concept of sanctification today. And let me remind you what I often say. Sanctification is not Passive we participate in it now justification. That's an act of God Remember God the righteous judge of the universe pounds the gavel and says not guilty forgiven. He has to do that We can't pronounce ourselves Forgiven right he has to do it But then from that moment on for the rest of our lives as we grow in the image of Christ we participate It's not a passive thing How do we participate well through Bible study through surrounding ourselves with Christians in a local church, through fasting, through prayer. All of these are ways in which we participate in our sanctification. But it's all with the same goal, which we find now in verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now Paul is doing what he often does. He's setting two things side by side and he's saying, choose this and don't choose this. This, not that. And so the two things are being conformed to the world and being transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, do not be conformed to the world. Now what is the world? That's a phrase and term we often use in church. I'm not sure we fully understand it. Uh, the word is cosmos. It means the world system you know it when you see it if you can't define it. It, It's an attitude and a philosophy that is pervasive in the world in which we live, the culture, in other words. Now, uh, when you're pedaling your bike at uh, the gym and you see the network television on the screens and you see what's going on, that's the world system, okay? That's how they think. And when you see the advertisement, how it appeals to sensuality, that's the world and you pass a billboard and it tries to get you to think thoughts that are impure. That's the world system. And we are inundated with it, we are surrounded by it, we try to protect our children from it, but uh, we can't ultimately because it's the world we live in. But Paul says, don't be conformed to this world. That is, don't be pressed into its mold. Don't let your life's outcome be just like your lost friends and neighbors. And then he gives an alternative to that. He says, rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You all know this word transformation, whether you know it or not. It's the word metamorphosis. When you were in eighth grade biology, you studied the caterpillar and the chrysalis and the butterfly, how you move from one stage to another, and we call that metamorphosis or life change. Well, this is what Paul is calling us to. He's calling us to life change. And it's done, he says, through the renewing of your mind. Now he comes full circle. Remember, he started out in verse 1 talking about presenting our bodies, and I said that includes your mind. But he wants us to concentrate now on the mind because he understands, I think, Proverbs 23, 7, which says, as a man thinks, so is he. So what we dwell on, what we contemplate, what we meditate on will eventually find its way into action. That's why we have to inform our thinking with the right curriculum. And the right curriculum for Christians is the Holy Bible. This is why we stress and emphasize you need to be in the Word this year. My brother Tony worked hard to develop a year-long reading plan. You need to pick one up at the Welcome Center today if you haven't already. You're only a few days late. You can catch up very quickly. Don't wait to March to start it. We don't do that out of legalism. It's because we know what the Bible says of itself—that it's active and alive and sharper than a two-edged sword. Paul told Timothy, "It is worthwhile. It is helpful for rebuke, correction, training in righteousness." That's just what he's talking about: training our mind to think the right things so that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, in all good works. That is, that he may grow into maturity. The Word of God is where his will is revealed. That's why he says, prove what the will of God is. You want to know what the will of God is? Get in the Word. Not only read it, memorize it, meditate on it, as David says he did in Psalm 1, "In in your law I meditate day and night because he knew it led to life change. He says, I will become like a tree that's planted beside waters. My roots run deep, in other words. My leaves aren't gonna wither up and dry up and die. Everything that I do, the Lord prospers. Why? Because his mind has been trained upon the word of God. Not only did he read it, he needed to hear it proclaimed by preachers and by Sunday school teachers. We should all make a commitment today unless the Lord providentially hinders us, we're going to be in the Lord's house on the Lord's day in 2023. And we're going to be there when the word is rightly divided. Why? Because he says it helps us to recognize truth from from error so that we'll know that which is good and acceptable as opposed to that which is bad and unacceptable. Don't you want your children to be discerning? This is what I pray for every day. I'm not naive enough to think that I can hide my kids from the world for the rest of their lives. But what we're trying to do is train them up on the word of God so that when they are confronted by the cosmos, the world system, they can discern truth from error, and good from best, and right from wrong. It's not just children that need that. We adults need it over and over and over. There's old saying, it's very true, the problem with living sacrifices is they keep crawling off the altar. And we make promises and make resolutions this time of year and sometimes those living sacrifices, those good intentions go by the wayside before we're a quarter of the way through the year. So what do we do? Well, we have to recognize this is not a one-time event. We don't come together early in January and make a resolution and never return to it. This is what Paul said about his own Christian walk, how he has to mortify the deeds of his flesh. He says, I die, how often? Daily. When Jesus was talking about the Christian walk and sanctification, he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. Charles Stanley, many of you listened to over the years, over 30 years ago, I was listening to Charles Stanley preach, and he was talking about this passage. And he talked about an exercise that he'd been doing for many years, and I've adopted it, not every day, but, but when I remember. He says, when he wakes up in the morning, first thing he sees the ceiling as he's laying on his back, and he says, Lord, thank you for keeping me alive one more night. It appears you've given me another day in which to glorify you. And so before my feet hit the floor... I want to tell you that I want to be a living sacrifice for you today. Guard my eyes that I not look at anything that's displeasing to you. Guard my ears that I not listen to anything that would cause me to sin. Use my hands, my feet, my legs to glorify yourself today. And he does that every day. And it reminds him that his life is not his own. It is the Lord. Now there's nothing magic about that. doesn't mean he won't have a problem I'm sure some days he prays that prayer, he puts his feet on the floor, and he stumps his big toe on the way to the bathroom. But what he's done, he has helped himself to think rightly. And when we think rightly, our bodies will follow suit. Now, I want to make a, a last point to you. Some of you are hearing this about dying daily, and being a living sacrifice, you say, well, that's for super Christians. I'm just a garden variety Christian, Pastor. I'm just trying to get to the next day. I'm trying to make it to payday Friday. You're talking about this exalted kind of living. No, I'm not. I want you to know that this is everyday, normal Christian life. Last Friday, I had a tremendous honor I was invited to give the eulogy at Hope Waldrup's funeral in Mississippi. Some of you remember Hope. Hope and Michael Waldrup were members of our church 10 years ago and the Lord called them to plant a church in Southern Utah and Hope and Michael and their three children did. And the first five to six years was hard sledding. That area's uh, 90% Mormon or more and uh, they were just treading water, discouraged. And here in the last three or four years, the Lord has just opened the, the doors of blessing. They're reaching that community with the gospel. The church is growing. They have a beautiful building now they own. And, um, the Lord's just doing great things through them. And just as that period of growth and prosperity was happening, God did something unexpected. Um, hope got cancer. And many of you prayed for her healing. We all did here, uh, hundreds of us. And. Um, they traveled to Arizona to find the best health care that this country could provide, and nothing worked. And a couple of weeks ago, the Lord called her home. And amazingly, her husband, the pastor of that church, preached his wife's funeral. And the Lord gave him incredible grace. And he read the 31st chapter of Proverbs describing his wife. And You remember that chapter, ladies how Proverbs 31 woman gets up early, works hard all day. She makes sure that her family and those who work for her are provided for. She puts the needs of others first. She goes into business and she makes a profit. Her husband is known in the gate. His heart trusts in her. Her children rise up and call her blessed. And Michael said last Mother's Day, uh, he got some pressure from some ladies Uh, the night before Mother's Day, and said, please don't read Proverbs 31 tomorrow morning. (laughs) They said, it's just a standard that's so high, it's too much pressure for we women to live up to. And and Michael said something in the funeral that struck me. He said, ladies, I love you, but I'm going to read that chapter every Mother's Day, and here's why. And it's because, not just that's how my wife lived, that's how God wants every Christian woman to live. That's normal. That's not super-Christianity. That's just Christianity. And let me say of Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, dear friends, this is not super-Christianity to give your life every day to the Lord's service as a living sacrifice. That's just Christianity 101. This is what all was supposed to be doing. And the reason there's other people in this room for you is that we need encouragement to do that, don't we? Because there's going to be discouragement, there's going to be a temptation to go our own way and to conform and be just like the world, to go along, to get along. And our task is to not only declare our own lives living sacrifices, but to encourage every other member of this church to do the same in 2023. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to be that kind of church member, that kind of Christian? Well, if we are, we need the Lord's help, don't we? Let's let's go to him in prayer and ask for that help. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. What a familiar text this is. We've heard it preached many times. And yet, Lord, we need it again. We forget so quickly. Paul so gently, kindly urges every believer to present themselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Father, we pray for holiness in the year ahead. Help us not to be satisfied with mere proclamation of Christianity. Help us to live it every day. Lord, help us to hold nothing back. Every part of our body, every part of our spirit, Lord, help us to give it to you earnestly and sincerely. Help us to pray every day, not our will but thine be done. Help us to put the needs of others ahead of ourselves. Help husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Help wives to submit to their husbands this year, Father. Father, our aim for all of us is sanctification and maturity. Help us to grow, and make progress. Help us to be obviously and distinctively different from the world. And Father, when that happens, it's our belief that others are going to be interested in that and are going to be attracted to it. The Bible says to be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us. Father, may the Lord Jesus and the gospel be ready on our lips when the opportunity arises. Use us in short, Lord, for your glory this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast.